Everyone's gone out now. Okay, for our first message, uh, we get to hear from Mr. Doyle Carter, and his message today is Spiritual Maturity Through Christ. Mr. Doyle Carter. Oh, is that on? Should be good now. No? Now? We got it. Well, I broke the ice. <laughs> Never get over that nervousness getting up here. Even when everything is well prepared. But then Mr. Justice always said when I was in his men's club, or he, and he did men's club, he said, if you weren't nervous up here in the first place, there's something wrong. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Just something wrong in the first place. Last week I was talking to... Well, first I knew I was speaking, but I had another topic, and it turns out I was talking to Mark McGarvey last week about it, and he kind of pointed out the bulletin, and, and I was a little shocked. Time travels fast when you get older, apparently. I didn't realize it's almost six weeks before the Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread. It's, it's about six weeks, about a month to five or six weeks, somewhere in there, not exact numbers. But, wow, I didn't know it was that close. So this is a topic that actually I was thinking about already due to an event at the apartments that irritated me. But it doesn't matter. It was about some other human activity that was going on. But basically it was on the topic of spiritual maturity. And I thought today we'd just take a brief, a very brief look at this topic because it's a, it's a huge topic to look at in itself. I mean, it's, almost, it's a lifelong topic actually because we'll never achieve it without Christ. And what, and what spurred it was the fact that something happened at, at, uh, at the house, and I thought about the fact that the Bible tends to encourage us to be more like God, you know, through his laws, what he writes. He, he teaches us to be more mature. I looked up the word maturity on the Internet, and there was multiple definitions I found, and the one I found was in Cambridge. I thought this was a very good one myself. It's, it's quote, the state of being mentally and emotionally well-developed, and therefore responsible. Well-developed. I like that one. That's, you, know how to, you know how to respond to things. You become well-developed over time. And as I was telling somebody, I brought a prop. Because all these, all these definitions started talking about plants. You know, like we talk about like bananas, ripening into their, their good. I thought of a trip... What I have, if you can even see it, I don't know if the videotape can take it, this is a, a pine cone from, I think, a Sherman tree, if I got it right from her. And it's a Sherman tree, which is one of the biggest trees in the, war, in the United States. I actually got to stand by one. I look this small compared to something this big. You can hardly see me. And it looks like a dozen or so seeds are involved in this thing. And... The point is, maturity is a process. It's like the seeds in here. They drop to the ground. It's hard to believe that the seed that, seeds that came from here, well, not necessarily this, this thing, actually grew into those plants that I actually stood by and looked like a dwarf. The plants grew and matured because of time and process. And that's what maturity is. It's when it takes time. You've got to endure, overcome. It, it learns to adapt to its environment, and it grows into a mighty tree which provides shade for the animals and place to picnic, or in my case, some place to get 
a photograph with my dad and pick up a souvenir. But it was amazing. He said, this is, is just a side note. This is actually the smallest pine cone known, and it, it turns into the biggest tree. It seems to be that way with children as well. Children, it takes time. We're not just born mature. We don't, we were born self-centered. We want what we want, and that's it when we're kids or, you know, like little babies. And then as time goes with the guidance of mentors, like uncles, friends, whatever, and family, hopefully society, if it's in a good shape, if it's not, well, yeah, well, you decide to fight it. You get, you grow up into a mature adult who is a respectable, good citizen. And it takes guidance, and you don't want life being the harsh teacher, as my notes say, harsh teacher. You don't want life becoming your harsh teacher to tell you how to live. It's better to have the good mentors. We see, now to get to the scripture, Matthew 5, 48. It says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I looked up the actual word perfect in this scripture, the Greek word. You do not want me to pronounce it. We'll end that problem right off the bat. But it's spelled T-L, I'm sorry, T-E-L-E-I-O-S. It's Strong's 5046-5046, which means be perfect. Complete in all parts, fully grown, of full age, and it, it adds a little extra, of, especially in the completion of completeness of Christian character. So Christ is calling us to actually become, or be full, to become mature, so to speak, or perfect, in the sense of like God the Father. That's a hard order. That's, a, that's an actual tough order. I can tell you that now. Because as, we're flawed creatures. Every day we're challenged by our environment. I mean, something at work, uh, let's say, for example, uh, you, go on, you go into traffic. Yeah, favorite one for everybody. You go out there and somebody cuts you off. You kind of lose your Christianity temporarily if you don't watch it because you get irritated. And you just get mad and don't realize maybe the guy's in a hurry, maybe didn't see you, who knows what happened. But you just don't think that way. You just go, why did you do that? And, you didn't, and at work, you may get jealous of someone, or you may get, or something may happen, and, and it just happens with us. We're not perfect people, unfortunately. And this is also expressed by Paul, because he does say in Romans, 3.23, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. We may have fell short of perfection, but we have someone who will assist us. Someone very special, Jesus Christ. Because like I said, with Passover, he died for us on the cross, or was crucified, and he is our helper. Let's look into this. Let's, check, let's explore this idea. In 1 John 2, and I won't do the Donald Trump as saying, one John, two, okay? Somebody made a joke of that earlier today. And I, I did hear it, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. He thinks that's one, one, I think, what was it, one Corinthians or something like that? I forgot what, or two Corinthians? We'll go, we'll go, we'll do it right. First John, two. And first John, two, verses one through six. 
My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the perpetuation of, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments, and he, and he who says, I know him, and does not keep his word, truly, okay, I'm jumping here a little bit. Okay, start over in verse 4. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him, and he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He's not just our advocate, is the point I'm trying to make in this. He's in, yeah, that's glaring in my glasses there. He's not just our advocate. He also set us an example. He's how to live life. And we can't just say, oh, well, I follow Christ. He'll save me and then do nothing. You have to follow him. You have to emulate his, his steps in life and learn what he thought and read his words. To, back, to continue this theme in Peter, we see in 1 Peter 2.21, so I did go to 22, okay. Well, in 21, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. And just to throw this in, I didn't give it to him, but it basically says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So he didn't commit sin either. So he's a great example. He didn't sin. So we can follow Christ's example. He suffered for us, and he left us an example, and we can follow his steps. He was a perfect example because he had no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't lie, he didn't cheat, he didn't have any motivations. We see Paul, one more on this, Paul refers to Christ as a high priest and sinless. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, Paul says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but, we, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We see what Paul says here is a high priest. He actually, he actually went through temptations, but he didn't sin. And we can think of many just off-the-cuff examples. I've, I thought of a few, like when the Satan in the Great Temptation sent him up on a mountain and said, look out here, all these nations can be yours. You're taking, you just bow down to me. And he says, no, can't, don't tempt the Lord. That is not right. Don't do that. He tried to appeal to his ego. Failed. We know that at the, at the at, when he was crucified, he, he did not rail back at his accusers. He kept himself 
calm and he knew what needed to be done. Where I don't know how I'd handle a crucifixion. That just, yeah, I, 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 this week I smashed my finger and almost said something I shouldn't have. And I can't imagine being whipped. It's just like, just magnify that pain a thousand times over. And don't worry, there's nothing wrong. It's just one of those heavy boxes at work fell. But it's still, we get hurt and we just respond. He didn't. He was focused. So he's a great example of who we should follow in his words. And in Ephesians 4, 13 through 15, just to break into this thought, I've used it before, because you know, it talks about that the church has got ministers, teachers, apostles, and so forth to help the church. And in 13 it says, till we, till we all come to the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And then skip on down to verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in, into him who is the head Christ. So we, through Christ, we're, we're to measure up to Christ. We, all this stuff of the ministers who help us, the Bible we read, we're to measure to the statue and the fullness of Christ and what he was. And, you know, I'll, I'll use this again. That's a tall order. Like I was telling someone out there, we're like this little pine cone compared to that tree, Christ being the tree. We have a long way to go to make it. He was... He was just perfect, and we are not. I say daily we flaw, but he's an advocate, and I am very thankful he's an advocate, at least for me. I'm okay, so let me, let's, check a few, let's check a few things out. It's good. Now, I did use Matthew 5, for verse 48. I want to go just a little back in the scripture just a little bit and look at something here. Kind of, and let's just go into it. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Do not think that I, and this came up because of work, and I'll explain it in a minute. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophet. I did not, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will not, by, will by no means pass from the law Till all is fulfilled. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teach men so shall be called the least shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I only say that because I was in the scripture was already here when I did this, but I had a friend actually at work. He's a little zealous in religion, we'll just put it that way. He told me that everything in the Old Testament's done away with because Christ did it. And I, I, at work, I just don't talk religion. I didn't, I just, oh, I just was so tempted to say Christ fulfilled it in the sense that he was an example. He didn't get rid of it because he said, think not that I came to destroy the law of prophet. He did not come to destroy it. He came to fulfill, to complete, to show us that example of how we should behave. And it was just an interesting, I, I just felt that that argument wasn't worth the fight. Is it work? If I was over coffee at a Starbucks, I might have gone a little further with it. But, you know, work that I've learned, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, and you watch out who you talk about in sports. 
you know, that might be a bad thing too. But Christ basically fulfilled in his life what we expected in the laws and the prophets. So we can look at him and go, hey, this is the way we need to go. And he's a perfect example. For we know, and this is one thing I would have pointed out to him, that sin is defined by John later on in time. And that's what I would have pointed out to him. Because it's funny if, John, if the law was done away with, not that that was my topic, but if it was done away with, why would John say later on, in 1 John 3, verse 4, whosoever committed sin, in the King James Version, and he didn't like to say, this wasn't given to him, to Brian, I'm just going to quote it. Whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And, and, that, and we do that all the time. And when you look at it, you say, well, okay, okay. You say, well, this sin is the transgression of the law. Well, I don't murder people and all. Well, the reason I jumped back in Matthew 5, you go into Matthew 5, and I brought my old trusty Bible this time, not the iPad. Like I always say, the batteries don't run out and it doesn't fade. I may not be able to read it, but that's another story. Let's see, which one did I want to hit on? It's, um, he talks about adultery in here. I believe in this place he does. He talks about adultery, whoever commits adultery. I just see it. Okay, here's one. Verse 21. Don't have to go to it. He says, You, have, you shall not murder. And whosoever murders shall be in danger of judgment. But he says that I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. He actually raised the bar of that. Instead of sitting here saying, okay, you don't physically murder someone. Okay, but if you sit here and are mad at your brother or hate your brother, you've, you've murdered him in your heart by all technicality. He raised it from a physical to a mental what I was trying to drive at was the, the adultery. Here we go. Verse 27. He says, you shall not commit adultery. And he said, but he says, in verse 28 of Matthew 5, But I say to you, that whosoever look, looketh upon a woman to lust, uh, lust for her, has al already committed adultery with her in his heart. Christ, because I've heard that argument with people, and they say, okay, well, I can keep the law. It's easy. Well, God, Christ raised the bar. It's no longer physical. It's now in here now, in here. And it's changed. I mean, of course, we keep it physically, but I mean, it goes beyond just the physical. It goes on the mind. And I'm going to pull one example. And this one is sometimes can, you know, it can be hard for some of us. I've already touched on it. In Matthew 6... He's our example. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 14 through 15. He says, For if you forgive men their, their trespasses, your heavenly Father... Okay, let me start that over again. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men of their trespasses... Neither will your father forgive you of your trespasses. Okay, so he said that to us. Now think about it. the crucifixion. He's, like I said earlier, you, you, it's this painful event. I don't even want to think about it. You know, it, like I say, think of, he died, he was 
feet beaten, nailed to a stake or a cross or however you want to look at it. And, it, and I think this is his last words. He says in Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He could have easily said, those dirty, rotten scoundrels are killing me. Do whatever. He said, I think he said he could have called a legion of angels. But no, no, he said, Father, forgive, forgive them. They know not what they do. I don't know if I could do that if somebody was doing all that to me, at least not in my present state, but that's the part of maturity. We get to grow up. We get to eventually someday, hopefully, never been in that position, but if we are, we will be able to say the same thing. We are to strive for perfection, to be like our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is the model that we are to use. We must accept him as our savior. We must follow his teachings and examples. The Sermon on the Mount's not the only place. I mean, you, he, we've got four gospels. We've got Paul who goes into it. We've got, he followed the Old Testament, kept the Sabbath. He did it. We've got plenty of examples. And we do these so we can achieve spiritual maturity, to become that perfect man, no other way, I didn't pull the, any scriptures for this, but I think you all may have one or two in mind anyway, because I've had this argument with Dad. No other man has that road or that way to get us there, Buddha or whoever you want to pick, doesn't matter. No other religion is going to do it. Of course, when we sin, we must repent, acknowledge our sins to God, and we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, so we can continue on. It's awesome. So we can soon go ahead and continue on to perfection, the process of perfection. Let the Holy Spirit work in us. And we know it's not easy, and he knows that too. Like we have read in Hebrews, and we talked about him being a high priest. He was tempted like us, so he knows it's not easy. So he's sympathetic. He goes, hey, yeah, I understand. You're going to have a hard time with this. But we know that he's been through it. So basically, in summary, or to conclude... I just wanted, just wanted to cover this because as Passover and the Days of Bread come around in about six weeks, six to five weeks, give or take, time will go fast enough by itself, don't need any help. Or, if you want to, another way to look at it is for the rest of our life. We may never reach perfection ever in this physical life. I mean, we are always pulled by our flesh. But, we, but consider it, now I want you to consider this. I want to encourage you that you would read your Bible, meditate and allow it to become a part of you, read Jesus' words, his walk in life, how he lived, try to emulate what he says and internalize it. Some of it's going to be hard because, I mean, some of the steps are not the easiest thing, but he did it. Take great confidence. Realize he will forgive you when you stumble and help you get back up. I want you to just realize he is... For the bottom line is, Christ is the only way for us to become spiritually mature.